This podcast is produced by Morningstar Investment Management, LLC, a registered investment advisor and subsidiary of Morningstar, Inc., and is intended for U.S. audiences only. Individuals featured in this podcast are employed by Morningstar, Inc. and its subsidiaries, including but not limited to Morningstar Investment Management, LLC, and Morningstar Research Services, LLC, registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Stay tuned for additional important disclosure information at the end of this podcast presentation. Welcome back to Simple But Not Easy, the Morningstar podcast about investing and behavioral economics. In part one of our sustainable investing podcast, we spoke with John Hale and Julie Koska from Morningstar Research Services, who've given us a great background on sustainable investing. Now we're turning our attention to how investors and advisors might go about investing in a sustainable way. Joining me in the studio are Paul Arnold, who runs a new series of managed portfolios for Morningstar Investment Management. Hey, Drew. Carolyn Schaflick, a portfolio specialist at Morningstar Investment Management, who's got a deep background in sustainable investing. Hey, Drew. Carolyn, did I say your name right? Yes, Carolyn. <laughs> Schaflick, right. Yeah, okay. Also joining us in the studio is Dan Kemp, the chief investment officer at Morningstar Investment Management in Europe, the Middle East, and Africa. Welcome, Dan. Hey, Drew. How are you doing? And Ryan Murphy, who is head of decision science at Morningstar Investment Management. Good to be here. So in our last segment, we heard about sustainable investing and the explosion of new funds that seek to cater to ESG investors. But Paul, how can these assets be managed together in a portfolio? Well, Drew, for us, the same way as every other portfolio that we manage. And what I mean by that is we follow our valuations-based fundamental work to build our portfolios. And whether that's for asset allocation, select equity, or our ESG products, we all have this underlying valuation-based framework that we use to craft our portfolios. And tell me a little bit more about about that framework. How do you build portfolios with this valuation-based framework? So for any asset class around the globe that we can invest in, we're going to do a fundamental analysis as to the value, the true sort of uh, underlying economic value that that asset would pay us uh, for our investment. And we do that across the globe. We have global teams. And so it's really important that... um, you know, we incorporate all of the potential investments and then craft the portfolio focused on the highest reward for risk of the available investment universe. And it's no different for our ESG portfolios. Uh, however, we do want to slant those portfolios towards intentional ESG-focused investments. But the same fundamental valuations-based framework that underlies all of our investment decisions is baked into those portfolios as well. Paul, can you tell us a bit more about our VDAA approach? Absolutely. So, Warren Buffett once said, price is what you pay and value is what you get. And we are firm believers that prices, so market prices, depart from the true underlying fundamental value that is attached to them. Uh, Another way of saying that is we believe that markets are not fully efficient. And so here we have a team of investment professionals around the globe that perform valuation-based fundamental analysis on all of our investment opportunities. And we're looking for areas that provide uh, a very high reward for risk. So we're looking for potentially assets that are undervalued, that we think over time will appreciate towards their fair value and will generate uh, better returns for us uh, as a whole. So then how does ESG get applied to that framework? In terms of our ESG portfolios compared to our regular asset allocation portfolios or our select equity portfolios, there's no difference in our actual asset allocation research. We're still looking for assets that are underpriced that we believe will provide a very strong reward for risk over the market cycle that we're invested in. The big difference with ESG comes into play with manager selection and where we're going to invest those assets 
uh, within the asset classes that we've identified as attractive opportunities. And what we really want to do is make the marginal dollar for somebody invested in these portfolios be 100% intentional ESG. Really slant the portfolio for those folks towards something that they deeply care about and are passionate about while still maintaining our core set of investment principles. Paul, can you just explain a little bit about intentional ESG? Here? Yeah, it's a, it's a really confusing phrase, and there's no industry-wide definition for what is ESG or what meets these ESG standards. And so that's something where, you know, as you heard John Hale and Julie Koska talk earlier in the first half of the podcast today, in the work we've done with Sustainalytics and Morningstar's Manager Research Group, you know, we've really got a broad, firm philosophy around ESG that you heard earlier in part one of the podcast. And that really allows us to sort of um, focus our efforts around manager selection and making sure that we're selecting firms that ESG is integrated into their investment process. And we found some firms could be accidentally ESG. And what I mean by that is they look good on some ESG metrics, but it's just by dumb luck. It's not by actually having analysts that are investigating these ESG uh, themes in their portfolios. Um, and does it go the other way sometimes as well? Like someone says they, you know, hey, look at our ESG fund. And, you know, when you get under the hood a bit, it's it's not as as sort of sustainable as as perhaps they, they lead you to believe. Absolutely. So we talked a lot about negative screens earlier and positive screens. And, you know, for for us, all else equal, if we feel comfortable with an investment or two investments, let's say, we want to focus on the investment that's going to be more marginally ESG or where the ESG impact is baked in more to the investment process, all else equal. And so I think that's really important because in the passive space, there are some products that just have some negative screens versus some of the newer products have more inclusive ESG metrics and more positive weightings towards ESG companies. And I think that's a really important point. There are certainly different levels of ESG, even when a firm says they're ESG. So, uh, Paul, you manage a, a series of managed portfolios that incorporate ESG in the way that you've, you've just discussed. Uh, what are some key things to keep in mind when building an ESG portfolio? So, again, I think this comes back to the manager selection piece. And I think one thing that's interesting is because there's no broad definition of what ESG is industry-wide, many people come at it from uh, different slants. And when we built our portfolio, we actually incorporate many different ESG views. So we almost have ESG manager diversification in there. So not all of our underlying investments are tilted in the exact same way. And I think that's very important because you know, you'll find largely energy is an area that becomes underweight because there aren't a lot of ESG energy companies. But it's important to bring in a group of managers that's going to look at each industry and, and their, how they score these investments differently. I think one other thing to keep in mind in terms of manager selection is that some funds will actually look to make an impact uh, with companies that they believe they can make positive change. So Wells Fargo is a great example of, uh, of a company that might score negatively uh, due to some instances they've had in the past. However, uh, we've had some managers that we've talked about where they will actually invest in that company to try and drive change, drive positive ESG change by meeting with management, meeting with the board, and trying to get the company turned around because it is an attractive company and they can make it more ESG by investing in it, whereas some shops will just disregard that totally. 
And Paul, you mentioned ETFs before. How can an ETF be ESG focused? And can you talk also a bit about when you would pick an ETF and when you'd pick a manager for an allocation? Yeah, let's start with the latter. I think that's that's easier to describe. So for us, the three things that we would look at in terms of making a decision between active or passive in any portfolio is first and foremost, what is the asset allocation need that we have? So based on our research, we found an area of the market that we believe to be attractive. Can we access that through active management directly? Or is it something that's so focused you have to use a passive investment? That's the first step. Can you step. give us a, an example of what you mean by that? Absolutely. So, so uh, emerging market value, for example. Okay. There's very few managers that are really focused on areas of, of emerging market value um, equities. And right now, it's an area that we find to be attractive. And we, we ended up using a passive product in, uh, in order to get more focused and targeted exposure. Whereas maybe emerging markets as a whole, we would prefer active management. In this case, the asset allocation need was really important, and we felt that the targeted passive exposure was better. So in that case, the asset allocation need is first and foremost the most important thing because we need to get exposure to what we believe is undervalued. Okay. From there, uh, we would look at cost, so a comparison between the active and versus passive product, and also our conviction level in the active manager. So there are certainly areas where we prefer active management, um, mid-cap equities, small-cap equities, emerging market equities, high-yield bonds. So areas where um, you know, maybe there are more inefficiencies in the market, um, having a big team doing research can really add more value, we believe. However, uh, and this is one example in our ESG portfolios, you'll notice we use a passive small-cap manager because we just didn't have conviction in the active ESG managers that were available uh, to us to implement with in this product. And so I think that's an example where conviction in the manager is important. We're not going to pay extra for a manager we don't have conviction in. In that case, we'll just go passive to get the exposure that we need. And an, an ETF, how can an ETF, if you're using a passive uh, approach, how can that be ESG oriented? That's a great question. A lot of index providers are now coming up with ways to tilt the portfolio towards higher ESG scoring companies. And it's important because the marketplace is really evolving. We've come from this environment of socially responsible investing, which has largely been negative screen. So let's remove guns, let's remove tobacco, let's remove you know, weapons of mass destruction. And we've really advanced from that phase into a new phase where we would refer to it as a positive screen instead of a negative screen. And what we mean by that is the index providers are now tilting, not only eliminating the bad names, but then tilting the remaining names more positively towards the higher scoring sustainable profiles. And what that does is it sort of doubles down on the intentional ESG-ness of the index. And now these ETF providers are able to leverage those and invest their products passively and we're seeing much higher scoring ESG uh, profile passive products. I, I think want, it's very important. I don't want to open up the sort of active-passive can of worms, but, but if you take as a definition of, of active anything that's you know, not the, the sort of cap-weighted benchmark, then in some ways these are, these are sort of somewhere in between. There's kind of like a, a, a smart beta, strategic beta kind of, uh, of an ETF rather than a, a, strictly, a strictly passive Absolutely. You know, I don't want to nerd it up here, but let's, you know, some of our passive ESG products have a tracking error of 2%, which what that would mean is if you're just looking at a basic uh, core market exposure, 
you could see, you know, within uh, any sort of given time period, you would expect to see a plus or minus 2% performance difference. So it's a, it's it certainly has a different slant on a core market cap weighted exposure in many of these um, passive products that have a positive ESG screen to them. And, you know, throw this open to anyone here. Uh, we've, we've talked a, a lot today about how fast the, uh, this part of the industry is growing, how much interest is, is there is out there for, you know, ESG-oriented investments. And, and so in this growing universe of, of sustainable investments, what do uh, your portfolios, Paul, or the ESG portfolios, uh, try to bring to the table that, that isn't provided through, you know, funds that are already out there? So I think our portfolios bring a couple of things to the table. The first is that you're getting a professionally managed portfolio and you're getting the breadth and depth of all of Morningstar Investment Management's asset allocation research and experience in terms of managing multi-asset portfolios behind the product. The second is that you're getting a broad, intentionally ESG-focused product. So if you really, as an investor, care and wants their marginal dollar to be doing better, so to speak, better for the world, that's what we want to provide here. And of course, somebody might say, well, you know, I've got this great fund that does clean energy, and that's the focus. You know, I think there's certain investors, they care about specific issues, and they might want to go to specific sustainable funds. However, what we want to bring to the table here is a broad incorporation of sustainability and ESG profiles into a multi-asset portfolio. And it's really meant for somebody's nest egg to be invested in this type of a product because it's broad and diversified and slanted towards ESG. I think that's important to note. Great. And Dan, uh, you started your career as a, an advisor in, the, in London, and you focused on ESG. Is that right? Do that's absolutely right. So uh, as, a, as a young advisor, I worked for a specialist uh, financial advisory firm that really focused on what we used to call uh, ethical investment. Uh, ESG wasn't a term that anyone used then. But, uh, but yes, that's the main thing that we did. And I think the thing that uh, we found as advisors is actually more people want to uh, take their uh, ethical, their social, their ESG concerns into account uh, when making investments than is normally supposed by uh, advisors in, in general. And is there a way that you, you came up with or you and your, your colleagues came up with to figure out who was you know, truly interested in ESG and who wasn't? Well, the tools you know, 20 plus years ago were, were pretty crude, but we had a, uh, essentially a questionnaire uh, designed to identify uh, people's primary concerns, whether they were primary environmental or, uh, or ethical or, or a combination of the two. Uh, the challenge uh, with that approach uh, is that uh, a basic questionnaire, people tend to uh, be idealistic about what their views are. Uh, so sometimes they're not terribly realistic about how they'll feel if their ESG portfolio doesn't do quite as well over the short term uh, as a conventional portfolio. And so that's why I think uh, it's so important that advisors get a really good idea of the actual investment decisions a client would make if faced with uh, a difference in returns as well as a difference in the underlying ESG profile of the portfolios. 
And if you're an advisor or, or an investor and, and you're trying to put together a portfolio, what, what are some, some key things to keep in mind when putting together a, a sustainable portfolio? Well, the first thing, as Paul said, is that actually running a portfolio in, uh, in the ESG space is very much like running a conventional portfolio. Most of the same things apply. Uh, it is, as the podcast says, simple, uh, but not easy. Uh, but certainly when running uh, an ESG portfolio, there are a few extra considerations you need to take into account. And uh, the main one is that uh, once you start excluding some companies from your universe that you can invest in, uh, then you change the uh, underlying economic exposure of uh, each asset class. So for example, uh, if you exclude all of the oil companies, uh, then suddenly how, a how an asset class or portfolio will behave uh, when oil prices are doing very well or oil prices are doing very badly uh, is going to be a little bit different. Uh, and so some of those uh, exposure differences change the expected returns and expected risk of the portfolio. And so you have to be very careful to understand how those economic exposures are changing uh, when making portfolios. As you know, we are long-term valuation-driven investors, and so the, the value of the assets we're buying, the specific assets we're buying, is incredibly important. So as, as you change your view of the asset class, the valuation changes, the expected returns and the risks do. But that's all something that can be taken into account uh, within our normal asset allocation process. Have you seen this white paper from GMO, The Race of Our Lives Revisited? I have. It's a, a fantastic piece of work. In there, Jeremy Grantham talks about, or he has one graphic that shows where he has excluded individual sectors. And over time, and you know, he, I think his point is over the long term, excluding a sector doesn't have that great of an impact on, on performance. So you would you'd mentioned that there's a consideration, but do these things sort of come out in the wash in the long run? So, I mean, that, that was a great study. There's been lots of other studies that Morningstar and others have done looking at the impact of performance. I think the way that uh, I would look at it is that uh, when you're comparing an ESG portfolio to a conventional portfolio, uh, then an ESG portfolio is always a subset of the opportunity set you have for a conventional portfolio. Because there's nothing to stop a conventional portfolio manager buying um, high ESG um, uh, stocks or sectors or, or funds. And so you're always dealing with a subset. Now, that subset uh, may do better over the long term uh, than the, the whole opportunity uh, set excluding that subset, if that makes sense. Um, so everything else that's, that wouldn't count for an ESG um, uh, investor because of the long-term benefits that can come through uh, good governance, uh, better social policies in a world where we're tightening up uh, on, uh, on companies and their social impact, certainly from an environmental point of view. And so, uh, yes, I think the research makes sense that an ESG portfolio could do better over the long term than a conventional portfolio, but that's assuming the conventional portfolio doesn't follow uh, ESG principles for purely investment reasons. So you have to think about uh, that full opportunity set that a conventional manager has and then the subset uh, of an ESG manager. We are valuation-driven here at uh, Morningstar Investment Management. Have, we, has, have there been any studies that look at sort of ESG favorability as sort of a, a systematic risk factor, something that you know, could be overpriced uh, in, in one market, underpriced at another time. Is that, is that at play in, in markets? So it, it certainly is uh, because a lot of the uh, companies with uh, high ESG characteristics um, often occur in some of the more growth 
uh, orientated uh, sectors. Technology, obviously, is one of the, the key ones that people tend to think about. And there are times, like today, when technology stocks are, look pretty expensive compared to most of the rest of the market. And so one of the things that we have to be really careful with, as you say, as, as valuation-orientated investors, is that we're taking into account the impact on the overall valuation of the portfolio uh, and not just uh, those ESG characteristics. Because there's, there's going to be times when uh, high ESG uh, companies and sectors uh, are very cheap. And that's a fantastic time for all investors, not just ESG investors. Uh, but there are times when uh, high ESG uh, portfolios can look more expensive. Uh, so, for example, in our view, uh, technology stocks, which typically are quite high ESG sectors, uh, they appear to be pretty expensive relative to other parts of the, of the market. So, Dan, if you're an advisor, how do you get started in sustainable investing or ESG? This may be something you've, you've heard about, you've read about, but, but how do you really get started? Drew, the most important thing is to ask the question. Uh, some advisors are very good at asking uh, their clients whether they have ESG preferences. Uh, others feel a little bit concerned about it and tend to shy away. And so just ask the question. What you'll find as an advisor is by taking into account the other aspects of people's lives, their views on ESG and uh, social and environmental views add to the richness of the conversation you can have with the client and improve the relationship. Uh, so just ask the question, see what answer you get. Carolyn, why did Morningstar Investment Management launch these ESG-managed portfolios? Well, Drew, as you heard from our research team earlier, interest in this area continues to grow. And it's really evident by just the sheer number of dollars that are flowing into this industry, in addition to the proliferation of funds now available to investors. You know, originally, I think it was mostly equity funds that were available, and now we're really seeing a spike in terms of the number of fixed income funds that are available. And so what that does is it really provides... Um, for Paul, for example, the ability to structure a managed portfolio and really feel confident that he could do it in a balanced or diversified fashion. What we've seen, though, is that investors also are really looking to their advisors for how to invest in these types of portfolios that can help them achieve not only their financial goals, but to do it without sacrificing their values. So it was really based on this feedback from our advisors that we decided to launch our ESG asset allocation portfolios. And if you think about it, it's really just a natural extension of our Courage Managed Portfolios lineup already available to advisors. So is the case for outsourcing investment management stronger when it comes to ESG portfolios? I believe it is. You know, as I mentioned earlier, we've really seen a big spike in the number of funds that are now available across different asset classes. Um, you know, I think that John even mentioned it earlier, just in the past year, year and a half, the number of available ESG mutual funds and ETFs actually increased 50%. So with that being said, it's also becoming more complicated expensive and quite frankly time consuming for an individual investor or advisor to be able to research all the available options in order to create you know this well diversified ESG managed portfolio another potential pitfall and, and Paul kind of touched upon it is that you know you may invest in a fund that has those letters ESG in their name but they're not really intentionally integrating ESG factors throughout their entire investment process. So if you're a uh, financial advisor out there and you already you have your hands full looking at all of the investments out there, managing your, your clients and whatnot, this is just one other thing. Huh? You, you have to go through all of these ESG uh, funds that are, that are or ETFs that are available and, and not only just kind of 
pick the top ones or something, but but really make sure that uh, that it's doing what it says on the label. And exactly right. And you know that's when you look at a provider like Morningstar that's been really focused on sustainability research for years. Um, you know, through sustainable sustainability ratings and meeting with the managers. You know, it makes sense for an advisor that really wants to focus on deepening the relationship with their clients to outsource the investment management arm of their practice. And so, you know, when Paul and John meet with these managers, you know, they can ask those really tough questions to make sure that these managers, these ESG managers are really meeting our strict criteria, but also to better understand their approach to sustainable investing. So that really gives us the confidence that our ESG managed portfolios are truly comprised of intentional, not accidental ESG funds. You know, at the end of the day, our goal is to help investors align their values with their investments in a diversified, professionally managed way. And I think that by, you know, leveraging the resources of our uh, research team and with Paul's um, oversight, that that's really what these portfolios can do. So we've talked about, you know, all of the dollars flowing into ESG or sustainable investment funds. Uh, there are more of these funds out there, a growing number of them. What do we know about the investors themselves who are going into these strategies? Sure. So I, I don't think that it's, uh, you know, not well known if you look at all a lot of the studies that have been published is that, you know, really millennials and women are the ones that have been leading the charge. So it's not to say, though, that, you know, no one else would be interested in sustainable investing. Um, and I think it would actually be an injustice to only focus on these two investor groups and exclude anyone else. So, you know, really it's applicable for any investor who's interested in aligning their values and ethics with their investments. And that's really, I think that, you know, for advisors to really be comfortable, they should be bringing it up to their clients. And for clients that are maybe interested in it, they should also be bringing it up to their advisors. And I think having the conversation is really the first step to determine who's interested in these types of strategies. So, you know, I think the, one of the biggest hurdles for advisors right now may be just knowing how to introduce this topic with their clients to determine if these types of strategies are really of interest to them. Ryan, you're working on some research on this. How do we know who truly wants to to use ESG investing? Why don't we just ask them? Can an advisor just say, hey, do you are you interested? Sure. So the, the general answer would be that people may not know, and there may be a little bit of social pressure for people to answer in a particular way. So people are sometimes strangers to themselves. Their preferences may not be immediately obvious to them. Uh, and moreover, if they did have some inkling on this, you could imagine that they might feel a little bit of social pressure how to answer. So, for example, if I asked you, how interested are you in sustainable investing on a scale of one to five? You present it like this, and people look at it and say, well, I'm not going to say one. That seems cold-hearted, right? And so you can start to see this thought process go on. So this approach to measuring those kinds of preferences may not be useful, may not produce valid results. So how, what can an advisor do then to, to really gauge interest from their client? So the way we've approached this is drawing from the academic literature, and there's methodology in experimental economics, that then rather asking people directly about their preferences, you give them a set of choices. And from the way in which they make choices from those patterns, you can infer what their underlying preferences must be. So rather than just ask people directly, hey, how interested are you in ESG investing, we would give people a series of choices giving them two options, uh, particular ways in which they could invest, and say if you had $1,000 to allocate between these two things, how would you do so? Here's one option that has great returns but is a very low ESG rating, another option that has lesser returns but a really positive ESG rating, and then see how they adjudicate that particular process. So what can advisors do with, with that information? 
So our thinking is to take this and wrap this into a tool. So we would present this to investors and then they would make these kinds of choices. And then from that, we would use an algorithm to give them a score of how interested they are in ESG investing from zero, no interest at all, to 100 to be very much exclusively focused on that. We find most people are somewhere in between. And this tool is, is available now or? This is a research prototype we've built and are testing extensively and something we hope to roll out in the next year. And this will capture not only sort of the uh, interest, the true interest of, uh, of of a client, but also weed out the sort of socially motivated responses or anything that wouldn't be truly their interest. Is that the idea? Yep, absolutely. So we think of this as a tool that would really help advisors not only understand what their preferences are, the preferences are of their clients, but also help investors start to find a way to articulate those preferences to their advisors. So we see this being useful on both sides of that interaction. So, Ryan, you know, I talked a little bit in terms of the different studies that are really focused on millennials and women driving this interest in sustainable investing. But I think, you know, what you've kind of explained is that sometimes people don't know themselves, you know, what drives their interest. And so can you maybe talk a little bit in terms of of what you've discovered through this process and, and what maybe other types of investors are interested So I think there's a prevailing narrative in the industry that the ESG preferences tend to be much more uh, something that millennials are driving and maybe is the domain of something that women are interested in exclusively. And I think what we're starting to see is that this is not just a a fringe preference. Uh, When you start to use a more rigorous methodology to bring to bear, uh, that you start to see that this is something that's just of interest across the board. Uh, So generational differences are virtually indistinguishable. There's almost no differences between the genders. And so I think that that in itself is worth starting to to change how the narrative exists out there. And why do you think that is? I think a lot of that narrative has been driven by a lot of survey research. So asking people directly, are you interested in ESG investing? And I think it goes back to this idea that that could be a biased way to to measure people's preferences. And so that narrative could be based on false data uh, when we have better data to bring to bear on that. Part of this methodology also has in built-in checks to see if people are answering these questions consistently. And so if a person is just randomly responding or is making nonsensical answers, we can diagnose that and throw out their data. But we see that the vast majority of people are answering very consistently and consistently are making choices that reveal they really are concerned with ESG in their investments. So I assume there's a range of advisors out there on this subject. You know, some might be very hesitant or skeptical to offer ESG to their clients and others who've embraced sustainable investing already. Uh, for those leading the charge on ESG, how are they integrating or featuring ESG in their practice? Well, I think what you're finding is that sometimes just kind of doing your research on the front end um, and discovering that there is interest. So, for example, there's an advisor that we work with in downstate Illinois who was um, you know, looking to win business from an institutional client. And in doing his research and looking at the investment policy, he recognized that there was language pertaining to sustainable investing. And he ended up winning the business because he was the only advisor that incorporated ESG investments within his investment proposal. And from that, what he recognized was that there really was more interest than he recognized throughout his client base and in working with his daughter, really targeting you know, women and their you know, um, acceptance of incorporating sustainable investing into their portfolios. And so I, I think that, you know, again, it's sometimes we're uncomfortable to bring up the topic, but I think that with the available resources um, that are out there, 
You know, it never hurts to kind of ask the question. And you don't have to ask it directly. You know, Ryan talked about the tools that will be coming out, you know, within the next year or so, hopefully. But, you know, there's also just other questions you can ask just in terms of getting to know your clients that will, you know, pretty much indicate that they may be open to it. So you just have to really listen for those cues. And what challenges do advisors face with sustainable investing and offering that to clients? Well, I think one of the hangovers that continues to exist is the sacrificing of performance. And so advisors might be a little gun shy to bring up these types of investments for fear that they won't perform as well as non-sustainable investing investments. In, you know portfolios, and so I think what you know what we found is that through the work that John Hale's done is that when we take a look at those funds that score high from a sustainability perspective, um, oftentimes aren't necessarily poor performers relative to their peers. Ryan, I've heard you say that ESG investing might help investors stay on course. Can can you explain that? So in some of our other research, we've seen that when people have very clear goals, this helps them stay the course and consistently engage as an investor, and that helps them perform better over the long term. We have a conjecture that when people build portfolios that are consistent with their values, especially through this ESG notion, that that may help them be more resilient as investors and endure the volatility that comes with markets. So it sounds like ESG investing, sustainable investing, can help investors. It might be able to help advisors with their practice. Uh, So it sounds like there's a lot of positivity around here. And, uh, yeah, so thank you all for for joining me today. Thanks, Um, Drew. Pleasure to be be here. here. Jinx, buy me a Coke. (laughs) Had a blast. So that's Paul Arnold, who is a portfolio manager at Morningstar Investment Management. And the series of ESG portfolios that he manages will soon be available through the Morningstar Managed Portfolios program. Dan Kemp, the Chief Investment Officer at Morningstar Investment Management, Carolyn Schaffleck, Portfolio Specialist, and Ryan Murphy, who is uh, Head of Decision Science at Morningstar Investment Management. Thanks for listening today. Stay tuned for our next podcast, which will deal with how investors and advisors can talk about volatility. I'm Drew Carter. Thanks for listening to Simple But Not Easy. podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of publication. Such opinions are subject to change. Neither Morningstar Investment Management nor Morningstar Research Services shall be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data, analyses, or opinions presented or their use. Morningstar Investment Management and Morningstar Research Services make no representation as to the completeness or accuracy of information presented. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.